it's a it's a tough service to plan for uh, in knowing how, how do you how do you share the right words you know what songs do you sing what kind of emotion and tone really should you bring uh, into a service like this and so we're just trusting the Lord tonight to use uh, this time as he would to use us as we share and uh, as we reflect with you and uh, as Jerry mentioned just a moment ago I, I pray that you might be able to use uh, this time and set aside the distractions and uh, just open up your heart and your mind to what the Lord may want to speak to you this evening and how he might want to encourage you uh, in some special and important way you know for us at Genesis uh, Good Friday is an important part of what we believe to be the most significant weekend in the history of the world. Uh, and that's this Easter weekend uh, that we reflect on, that we look back. Because when you think about it, like these three days are the definitive turning point really for all of creation. And really for our lives too. The Apostle Paul uh, describes them like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verses 3 and 4. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Basically, here, when you boil it down, here's what matters most that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. These words right here you know, that the Apostle Paul speaks of, that he reflects on, really highlight the building blocks for which the Christian faith is built upon, our faith. I mean, everything that we believe is built on these words and these events. If you remove any one of them, like you no longer have Christianity. Uh, you remove any of these events and you've got some powerless, meaningless version uh, that you really can't call Christian. And here's why, because if Christ didn't suffer and die on the cross, then our sins remain unatoned for. There, there's a problem. Our, our debt to God is still outstanding, and we're left hopeless and, and really helpless when it comes to our sins. Like if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then, then the hope that we do have that, that he defeated death uh, that will be re resurrected one day, like that all goes away. Like our faith, everything that we believe in and hope for well, it, it all comes back to, you know, Good Friday, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior, because he did die. We do believe that, that he did die, that he was buried and raised to life on the third day, all in accordance with what God promised in his word. And that's important because, you know, all these years later, it's easy. I mean, it really is. I, I kind of feel this tendency too. I think we all do to want to race right past Good Friday. Let's just move right on to Resurrection Sunday, you know, and, and in our case, we'll have a Saturday uh, service tomorrow as well. In fact, I think maybe that's why we only offer one Good Friday service and why we need multiple services, you know, for, for Easter. But the truth is that there'd be no Easter Sunday if we didn't first reflect on Good Friday, if we didn't remember what it is that Christ ha has accomplished. And, and have you ever wondered, have you ever stopped to wonder, like, why in the world do we call it Good Friday? And think about that for a moment. Like, why, why do we call it Good Friday? I mean, if you consider everything that happened to Jesus, like, like it's anything but good. I mean, a better title might be Brutal Friday or you know, uh, suffering Friday, or what about the word excruciating Friday? Look at the spelling of that word excruciating. The word crucifixion is within that word. The word excruciating comes from the word crucify. And the point is that what happened to Jesus on that Friday 2,000 years ago was anything but good, depending, of course, 
on how, on how you look at it. I, I want to talk to you uh, about the events uh, for just a few minutes surrounding and leading up to the death of Christ. And it's, it's what? It's almost 7 p.m. here. It's 6, 6.56 p.m. here in Indiana. Uh, let's just pretend we're in Israel because at this time of day, on that original Good Friday, the cross had already completed its horrific work. Uh, the suffering had finally come to an end. Jesus was dead. His, his bloody body would have already been taken down from the cross and was being prepared, as we know from scriptures, for burial by a wealthy man uh, whose name was Joseph of Arimathea, who also owned the tomb where Jesus' body would finally be laid. And, and helping him to prepare the body was a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Uh, you might recognize this man. We first meet him in John chapter 3. He's the one that Jesus spoke those words to. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We, <clears throat> we call on those words frequently. Like you, you might remember those words. There's no doubt that Nicodemus never, <clears throat> excuse me, there's no doubt that Nicodemus ever forgot them, but now Jesus' lifeless body is, is in his arms and will soon be sealed in Joseph's tomb. And the disciples, like you know that Jesus' closest followers, they had to be wondering and thinking to themselves, like what in the world just happened? I mean, it was just the night before that they gathered with Jesus in the upper room to celebrate this, this Passover meal with Jesus, talking about his kingdom. There were arguments over who was gonna sit on his right and who was gonna sit on his left. I mean, like they knew the tensions were high, but I, we really... Man, you got to believe they didn't know what was going to happen over the next hours. And so they were confused, but Jesus wasn't confused. Like He was never confused in those moments. He knew what was in front of him as he led his disciples from the upper room, and they left the city where they would have crossed the Kidron Valley and stepped into the Garden of Gethsemane. And the garden was a place that Jesus likely went frequently to whenever he was in Jerusalem, a place that he went to pray. And so he goes there with his disciples, and even there as his disciples, uh, he, even as he asked them to stay awake, to keep watch, you know, Jesus, if you remember the words, he pleaded with his father, could there be another way? Father, take this cup from me. Like, they, did, they didn't recognize what was at stake. And Luke records that Jesus was in so much agony, he was under so much stress that his sweat literally became like drops of blood. And at his closest followers, his friends, they slept through it all. Right up to the point, you know, when Judas, the one who betrayed him, is going to return with a detachment of soldiers armed to the teeth with swords and clubs. We talked about that, Kevin did this past Sunday. And Jesus, well, Judas walked right up to Jesus, his rabbi, his friend, his leader, and with a kiss, he betrayed him and really identified him to these soldiers and the soldiers seized him at once and they brought him first before a guy by the name of Annas who was one of the religious leaders and they likely did this as kind of a stall tactic while Caiaphas who was high priest that year was doing his work to gather as many of the religious leaders and members of the Sanhedrin together at least a small portion of them and once they were finally all gathered Annas had Jesus bound and sent to Caiaphas and people there started coming forward one by one and, and with lies about Jesus and who he was and things that he had said. And they made these false accusations again about what Jesus had done, but their stories kept contradicting each other. And as this was going on, do you remember this? Peter, one of Jesus' closest 
followers and disciples. He had been following somewhat closely behind, and, and someone came up to him and asked him, like, weren't you with Jesus? Aren't you one of his followers? Like, I mean, haven't you stood by him all of these days? And three times Peter denied knowing Jesus, and in that moment, you know, just as Jesus said it would happen, a rooster crowed, and Jesus looked straight at Peter, his disciple, the, the one he was going to hand leadership to, really, but yet abandoned him in some of his most painful times. And Caiaphas, recognizing that the crowd couldn't get their story straight, asked Jesus directly, are you the Christ? Like, are you the Son of God? And Jesus answered, I am, and that was all they needed. That was all they needed to hear because at that point the guards began, they began beating Jesus and uh, spitting in his face. They blindfolded him. They, they hit him with their fists and said, prophesy Christ. Tell us, tell us who hit you. And the religious leaders right then and there, they just wanted to put Jesus to death, but they didn't have the authority to do that. And so they took Jesus. They sent him to a guy by the name of Pilate. All right, and Pilate was the Roman governor of Jerusalem. Pilate had the power and the authority to order this crucifixion, and that is exactly what they wanted. And so Pilate brought Jesus out and began to question him, but because there was nothing of substance to charge him with, he tried to set Jesus free. But again, the crowd kept insisting on his death. And so Pilate sent him off, sent him to another local leader, a guy by the name of Herod. And Herod, was, he was pleased with this. He was pleased for the opportunity to finally meet Jesus face to face because he had heard all about him and he had heard about these miracles that he had performed. And, and well, frankly, he wanted to see a miracle for himself. But Jesus wasn't in the performing sort of mood. And so he stood silently before Herod which led Herod and his men to just simply ridicule Jesus. They put a purple robe on him. They, they mocked his claim to be king, and then they sent him straight back to Pilate. And Pilate thought, you know what, maybe if he punished Jesus, maybe if he, he had him roughed up a bit, that that would certainly satisfy the crowd. And so he had Jesus stripped naked, flogged with a whip, a, a punishment so severe that it, it typically and often led to death for its victims. But next, the Roman soldiers, they, they twisted together. Remember this? They twisted together a crown of thorns, and they jammed it on Jesus' head. They jammed it into his skull. Uh, they wrapped around a, a, a purple robe around him. They mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Hail, King of the Jews. And they punched him in the face. And they struck him over and over again with a wooden, wooden staff and and then Pilate paraded Jesus, who was probably barely hanging on for his life at this point, in front of the crowd saying, look, I'm bringing him out to you now to let you know that I find no charge whatsoever against him. But when the chief priests and officials saw Jesus, they shouted even louder, crucify him. We want him killed. And so Pilate finally gave in. He washed his hands in front of them as a way of saying, you know what, I am, the blame is on you. And he handed Jesus over to be crucified. And so they, they put a, a rough, thick beam on his back. And the soldiers led him to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And there they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross, and they raised him up. And according to Mark's gospel, this happened. This, this began around nine in the morning, and Jesus is going to suffer for six hours. It'll be six hours later before he died. But, but to think that for six hours, he hung there on that cross, you know, with nails in his hands. 
and in his feet and having to push up with his legs, just trying to, to take the pressure off of his diaphragm, trying to breathe as his already bare back was rubbed up against the splintered cross, the splintered beam, and, and then he would slump over again, the weight of his body going back to his wrists and going back to his arms and his shoulders. Again, this, happened, this, this went on for six hours. Jesus repeated this routine over and over again until eventually his legs had lost all of their strength. And with his last breath, Jesus uttered, as the gospel writers record, three incredibly important words. It is finished. Complete. The debt has been paid. You know, if you've never heard the story of Good Friday before, you might think to yourself, yeah, what, what made it good? But as strange as it seems, calling this day Good Friday is entirely appropriate because the suffering and death of Jesus is the central element of God's plan to save you and to save me from the punishment that we deserve of our very own sin. You know, nowhere else is the truth so clearly explained and communicated as in the Old Testament uh, book of Isaiah. If you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to take it right now. Or uh, if you use a, a Bible reading app on your phone, uh, feel free to go there with us for just a moment. But turn over to Isaiah, and I want you to actually go to Isaiah 52, all right, for just a moment. We're going we're gonna to read into Isaiah 53, but Isaiah was a prophet. If you've been following along with us in our reading plan, you're going to get there uh, over the next few weeks. But a prophet who lived around 700 B.C., so 700 years before Christ, and the predictions that are found in his prophecies are so detailed and so precise that they serve as one of the greatest proofs for the validity of scripture and really for Jesus being our Messiah. In fact, some people call Isaiah the first gospel, all right? Or uh, it's, it's this first gospel. And the significance, again, is really seen here at the end of Isaiah 52 and into Isaiah 53 because nearly every line of it is quoted or at least played out as we see in the New Testament. And so I want to read it with you uh, together, again, starting in Isaiah 52. Uh, let's start in verse 13. And let me just read these words for you, even into Isaiah 53. Isaiah 52, verse 13. Here's what we read. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Again, remember, 700 years before Jesus. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see and what they have not heard, they will understand. Isaiah 53, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. 
Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth." Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong." because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. What's so good about Friday? Good Friday? Isaiah 53 has the answer, and I think it's best summed up here at the end of verse 12 when we read, for he, for Jesus, bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Who are the transgressors? It's the sinners. It's just another word for sin. It's, it's you and me. It's the guilty, you know, all of us, each of us. Like it's all of humanity. Look again at verse 6, Isaiah 53, 6. Isaiah writes, we all, all right, every single one of us, like sheep, we've, we've all gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah illustrates here, you know, that our sin really is a turning away from God. It's choosing to do our own thing. It's sin is doing what we want instead of, of following the Lord, instead of obeying what he commands. Like, like sheep go astray. You know, as sheep wander, we wander, right? Every day and with our lives and in our circumstances, like we wander, we've all turned our backs on God's and, and God. And, and throughout these verses, you know, Isaiah, he, he refers to this rebellion as sin. He refers to it as iniquities and as transgressions. And again, says we've all done it. Like every single one of us has turned our back on God. We're all guilty. Every single one of us, we're all guilty and God, because he is a God, a just God, who, who cannot and will not leave sin unpunished, well, he was forced to take, he was forced to take action. And even though he is a just God, he is also a God who is rich in mercy, and he was not willing to allow us to, to just live in our guilt and, and to be condemned. And so what did he do? Well, Isaiah records in verse 10, it says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, and cause him to suffer, and the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. Now, some of you, if you're watching or if you're listening closely, you notice that I skipped the word though, and we'll come back to that in just a moment because it's an important transition. It's not an accident. 
But the fact remains that the Lord God, he, he took Christ, he took his very own son, and, and he made his life and his death an offering for sin. And so let's deal with that for just a moment, and then we'll talk about the though that we left out there. You see, the death of Jesus... All right, it was not just an act of angry men and angry religious leaders that, that wanted to put him to death. Sure, again, sure, people wanted him dead. But, and yes, it was the men who beat him. And yes, it was the men that put him up on the cross. But none of that happened outside of God's will. Outside of God's will, you know, God the Father, God's will for Jesus. As I, as I, as, again, as Isaiah explains, it was God's will to crush him. Uh, it was the Lord's will to cause him to suffer. And Why? because it was the Lord's will to make his life an offering for my sin and to make his life an offering for, for your sin. Now, I'm not gonna pretend that I fully understand the implications of all of that. All right, even as I was thinking about this today, like it's difficult to get your mind wrapped around such a statement, such a reality that, that, that God, you know, a just God requires an atonement for, for sin, like why would God require that of Jesus? Why would God require that of his own son? It's a mystery really. I mean, it really is a mystery. But here's what we do know. What we do know is that our loving God was not willing to allow sin to have the final say. For sin to have the final word here in our world. And so God provided a way out. He provided a way out from the punishment that our sin deserved. And, and, and it would require a suffering servant as Isaiah describes, to bear God's wrath for our sins, to step in as a substitute and to take our place. And Isaiah describes what this suffering servant, what he went through with these words here in Isaiah 53, really 12 different statements. 12 different statements that make Good Friday so good. And I just wanna read these for you again once more. And I want you to listen to these and, and here's what I'm praying for you. I am praying that you will receive them is God's gift for you here tonight because here's what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you and what he's accomplished for me with his death on the cross. The first is that he took up your pain. He took your pain when he went to the cross. He bore your suffering, the suffering that you deserved and I deserve for our sin. He, he was pierced for your transgressions and mine. He was crushed for your iniquities. The punishment that brought you peace was on him. By his wounds, you were healed. The Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, your iniquities. For your transgressions and mine, he was punished. He will justify you he will bear your iniquities. He bore your sins. And he interceded for you. Jesus, he died for you. He died for me. He gave up his life so that we wouldn't have to that we wouldn't have to bear the punishment. Like this is the good news. 
This is what makes Good Friday so good, that Jesus Christ, that he died for each of us, that he died in our place. He, he was wounded, all right, so that you and I could be healed. He, he was punished so that we could experience his peace, and it was the only way. This was the only way that it could be accomplished, that Jesus, he gave up his life, and he gave it up on our behalf. And why? Because he loves us. Because his love is, is beyond anything that you or I could ever imagine. The way he thinks of you. The way he's created you. And why he created you. And what he desires for you and wants for you. And the life that he desires for each and every one of us. I mean, because he loves us. Because God loves us. He gave up his son in our place. So that we can live. That we can have hope. And that we can be free that we can be free and live for him. But the question we've got to wrestle with, that maybe you've got to wrestle with, that some of you watching tonight need to wrestle with, is will you receive his love and forgiveness? Because as great as it is, he's not going to force it on you, and he's not going to force it on any of us. Like you, you have to make the decision to receive that love. I think there's a, a great example of what this means to each of us in in light of three crosses because as the gospel writers explain Jesus wasn't the only one crucified that day in fact some of them talk about two other men that were at his right and left two different thieves two guilty men that really represent each of us because we're all guilty right and so there were two criminals there that day and as we learn there was one on well, to Jesus left, guilty of crimes, deserving at least in the eyes of Rome and deserving of death. And he rejected Jesus on the cross. And you can see the examples of him even you know, mocking him just as the people on the ground were mocking him. But there was another. There was another that we read that even in the final moments of his life, with no opportunity to get down off of the cross and make a difference, make an impact in the world, show the rest of the world that he'd been changed, he couldn't do that. But in the final moments, he, he turned to Christ and acknowledged Jesus, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. I think it represents where each of us stand today that we all have a choice to make. We can reject Jesus or we can embrace Jesus and receive his life, not because of anything we've done, not because of earning it in any way, but just simply by choosing to believe it, to embrace it, to receive his love. We're, we're going to remember <clears throat> Christ's sacrifice uh, by taking communion together in just a minute. But before we do, I want to show you how Isaiah 53 not only predicted the death of Jesus, but also his resurrection. Let's go back to Isaiah 53.10 for just a moment here. Isaiah writes, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though, here's our word that we skipped a moment ago, and the lo though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, here's the other side of it, and here's what we look forward to. He will, Jesus will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And after he has suffered, he will see the light of life 
and be satisfied. And that's exactly what happened because on the third day, Christ rose and he saw life just as Isaiah predicted, having done everything the Father had asked of him and was satisfied because of it. And that's why we're coming back tomorrow night. And we would invite you back with us to celebrate. We'll be out on the lawn here tomorrow evening at 5.30 and then on Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. We're gonna come together. We're gonna celebrate the empty grave, the risen Christ, the hope and salvation that we have in Jesus. But again, there's no Easter without Friday. There's no Easter without Good Friday. And so tonight, we're gonna take the bread and we're gonna remember that Christ's body was broken for us. And we're gonna, we're gonna take the juice and remember that his blood was shed and poured out for us. We're gonna remember that Jesus Christ, he was made sin for us. You know, he didn't know any sin, but he was made sin so that we could become the righteousness in God. And as the Apostle Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter five, when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, when you embrace his love and his forgiveness for your life, you are made new. The Bible says the old is gone, the new is here. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. You are made new. And so I'm going to invite you in just a moment to get up from your seats. We've got a couple of communion stations here up front. Uh, if you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've submitted your life to him, we invite you to take communion with us this evening. If you've never done that before, that's a decision that you've never made, I would encourage you to Take this time to consider these things we've been singing about and talking about here this evening and to open up your heart to the message of the cross and ask yourself, is it time to receive the gift of God? You can do that tonight. I'd love to talk with you more about it. Jerry will be up front afterwards. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to trust the Lord. But let's remember his death and the life that we have now. You're welcome to come and receive these communion elements. And you take communion when you're ready as the band will lead us in one final song.